Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. I just realized I didn't plug my mic in. I'm going to plug it in. Let's see if you can still hear me. Let's see. There. Yep, you're there. You can hear me? Yep, that's better. You can, eh? Yeah, well, I'm not sure about better. It says default, it doesn't say. No, now it's now it's on the Yeti. Okay. Yep. All right, here yep. we go. Sorry about, sorry about that. Um, a big again? night for the Edmonton Oilers, a 3-2 win. Bruce, their ninth win in a row. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. They're almost, they almost have a 600 points percentage now. They're at 591 or 592 in the NHL. Big 3-2 win over the Detroit Red Wings. But before we get going, Bruce, I just want to mention um, a sad thing. Passing of, uh, yeah, the passing of uh, two colleagues, uh, John Short and Robin Brownlee. And I would like to dedicate this podcast to the memory of both those guys. Passionate uh, hockey fans passionate uh sports fans of course they were you know they were both more classic they're not they weren't like us you know fan reporters they were more in the classic mold of commentators on sports without taking a side although john short actually did take a side he worked for the oilers he um, did. the prototype of bob Stoffer, i guess mm-hmm. he, but i don't he know if PR he, guy. he was the pr guy there for a while hey eh? like pre pre bill twelly yeah, and if I'm completely honest, I always hold it. I always held it a little bit against John, as as good a guy as he was, and he was a really good guy. Um, mm-hmm. That he was on a bit too pro Parkington for my liking. Um, I was very by the end of, of course, extremely right. anti Parkington. But anyway, that was uh, that that was a tough tough role to take, and it was he was probably less pro Parkington than I imagined. He was probably just being more fair than I was. Yeah, well, his radio show was a must-listen for Edmonton sports fans for a lot of nights over a lot of years. Yeah, where he'd come on and he was always so level, you know. He'd listen, he'd hear the listener out, even when the listener was full of it, you know. And John, about as pointed as he would get, would say, "Everybody has a democratic right to be wrong." <laughs> yeah. He said that how many, a couple times a show. Easy. I wonder how many times he said that in his life. <laughs> I think he said Which, that. <laughs> His way of saying, I disagree with you, but you have the right to say what you want rather than saying, you're an idiot for not thinking what I think, which is sort of modern. Uh, yeah, we, you're, you're cancelled for that opinions, um, is the modern take. Uh, we got together with John. Colin Ruddle put together um, yep. a, a group and we went out one one day. Paul, Paul uh, Almeida was there. Yourself, yeah, was that was before there. COVID? That was the Diet Coke Summit. Yeah, was that before and, uh, COVID? It was Bruce? before COVID. Yeah, yeah I think was, it was. Yeah, it was. I, th- I think I saw John one time briefly after that, but that day we had lunch together and uh, and uh, had uh, a good old hobnob. And uh, Robin Brownlee, he he was my colleague at the Journal for a long time. Oh, sure, and I knew him. I I knew him very well because we worked at the Journal together. Of course, he was in sports and I wasn't. I was in the city side always, but I did some sports reporting. And and Robin Robin um, at his best was just a hell of a writer. He could really really write, and uh, 
he had a ferocious temper mm-hmm. and a big heart. But the thing, the thing I remember about Robin, we would play the newsroom team would play the uh, the uh, sports team in slow pitch baseball, <laughs> and Robin, he took the most astronomical ferocious swing at the ball you have ever seen in your life. It was like that swing could have felled trees, Bruce. <laughs> and it just made him striking out all the sweeter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How can you strike out in slow pitch by trying to hit a home run yeah. on every single pitch? And that was Robin. That's uh, that's how he rolled. So, Did you have Tom Barrett lobbing him in <clears> for <throat> you? Tom played a few times. Tom, Tom used played. to play. He was a slow no, pitch, it was, uh, pitch pitcher for the turkeys in the, in the Southside Industrial League or whatever it was called uh, oh, yeah. back in the day. Yeah, Tom, Tom was, a, he was a junk ball pitcher in slow pitch, if you can believe that. I can believe <laughs> it. We actually had a, 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 a friend of the uh, cult of hockey, Murdoch Davis, mm-hmm. was our pitcher. And his, he, his nickname was Eminem Davis, Murder and Mayhem Davis. Uh, I don't really know why it was Eminem or Murder and Mayhem, but he he did cause that on the mound. He was he he had some in slow pitch. Actually, mm-hmm. actually, it wasn't was it slow pitch or was it three pitch even? Like where you pitched to your own team? I can't even remember now. I think it was slow oh, pitch. Wow. Okay. I don't think it was three pitch, but I could be incorrect. It's been a long time. Bruce, um, yeah, let's uh, move on, I guess, and talk about the game that's what the john and robin would do at this point so let's get her done john had connections directly with detroit eh? he grew up there oh i didn't know that so that was happened to be the team they were playing tonight so that was quite a quite a hockey city when he was a young guy i guess because eh? oh, he yeah. was 80 i understand he was 87 yep so um <clears throat> yeah he would have been there in the heyday of uh, Gordie Howe and Ted Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce, it was a, this was a fascinating, absolutely fascinating game uh, in that the, it was uh, a bit of a track meet, but mainly in one direction. The grade A shots in this game, Bruce, were 25 to 8 for the Oilers, 25 to 8. With the subset of five alarm shots, 12 for the Oilers and just three for the Red Wings. And yet this was a close game, 3-2. The Oilers came very close to uh, giving it away, uh, which would have been a hard, hard thing after uh, putting so many shots on the Detroit goalie. Alex Lyon, is that his name? Yeah. Good young goalie, played really well. Outstanding. Bruce, this is our Two Good Things, Two Bad Things and Two Numbers podcast with one conundrum tagged on at the end. And we'll also double it up to two good things each because it was a pretty, in the end, very dramatic win and lots of good things happened. What is your first good thing? Yeah, well, I'm, it was 0-0 zero, zero after two and not because nothing was happening. I thought it was a good, hard two-way game. Edmonton was the better team, but the action really got hot and heavy in the third period. And uh, uh, after, after Detroit opened the scoring, and Chris Knobloch challenged uh, for uh, potential goalie interference, lost the challenge, as I thought immediately. I didn't think the challenge had much of a chance. And, why, why not? Why not? Because uh, I thought the skater was outside the blue paint. The goalie, you know, he had one foot back in the blue paint, but his glove that he was kind of swinging around was 
was outside and I, you know i just couldn't see what the guy did wrong he hid his uh, glove though and yeah he well he didn't if he'd been cory if he'd been cory perry uh you know well then he, he still would have got the call anyway uh the, isn't, the that a, re- isn't that a, a foul like pickard would have made that save if his glove hadn't been interfered with i think i don't know why it wasn't called like Tell is there some blocker. rule that you're allowed to well, you're allowed goal. to skate in front of the net, and the goalie's, you know, he's got to do his business inside his blue paint, and I guess they decided he wasn't. Anyway, I, I was not confident, and sure enough. And then on the subsequent power play that Detroit got from the delay penalty, they came within a a hair of uh, three, making it three two, hairs. two nothing. Uh, yeah, making it two nothing, about 20 seconds left in the power play. And uh, it was Robbie Fabry, I believe, who shot the one-timer, and he absolutely roofed a great cross-high speed from Patrick Kane, I'm pretty sure, once it fed him. And he put it right up and under the crossbar, and somehow Calvin Pickard, Oilers' uh, backup, who got the got the game tonight, uh, came across and got just the tiniest little piece of his blocker on it. And otherwise, it was in under the crossbar and absolutely <clears throat> a goal, and you would never blame the goalie on it. And he got the tiniest piece of it with his blocker, and he deflected it just enough up for it to catch the crossbar, and then it came down and hit the goal post. Uh, but those are parts of the goalie's gear, as we all know. Uh, and so, to me, that was just a fantastic save by Calvin Pickard, who, you know, just great reflexes and... Uh, to get over there and to get any kind of piece on it. He only needed to get a little bit of it, but he did get a little bit of it, and it was just enough to keep it out. And a 2 nothing score there, and that's, uh, yeah. what, you know, in the third, where they score and then they get a power play and score again, you know, because yeah. the challenge failed, and it's like a two-goal two goal whammy for basically one play. And I thought that save was huge and kept the orders in the game at that moment. So that's my good thing, number one. That was a pretty, pretty good thing. The, uh, hard to come back, even as dominant as the Oilers were. I guess there was about 15 minutes left at that point, but it would have been hard to come back uh, from that one. Bruce, my good thing is the first goal that the Oilers got, <clears throat> and I was really worried that was offside, and I'm still not quite sure why it wasn't. Because um, it looked to me like, Certainly the puck went in before the, I think it was, who was coming out, Nuge? The final order was coming out. The puck went in before Nuge came out. But I guess McDavid delayed. So there's a there's a scrimmage or a skirmish for the puck around mm-hmm. the blue line, just outside the yeah. blue line. And there's people touching and it's batting around a bit. And it, go, and it kind of shoots in. I think Hyman puts it in, to, bounces it into the um, offensive zone. And I think what kept it from being offside, and I could be mistaken, but McDavid hesitated, it looked to me, a moment before touching the puck when he was still onside. Okay, his, cool. skates, his skates would still be onside. And he weighed it. He didn't touch the puck. And that weight was enough, even though the puck had crossed before the player came out. He waited. And that made it onside? Well, I thought so, too. And then the replay showed that, A, he didn't wait long enough, but, B, it wasn't offside uh, because... Uh, the puck was deflected off the skates of a Detroit player. Oh, and back so that's into the what cell. it was. Okay. So basically Detroit legalized the play by, it was, you know, just bounced off the guy's skates, but it was, puck was going 
<clears throat> towards Oilers' goal and hit a Detroit guy and bounced back into his own end. So Detroit looked at it and decided not to challenge it, which was the right So goal. that's the role. It can just deflect off your guy. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. full possession or anything. Right. It deflects oh. off you and into your zone, then it's mm-hmm. everything's good to go. Well, yeah. then McDavid made an absolutely killer play in a uh-huh. night when the Oilers could not score. He went in. <laughs> he scored that puck. His, that What a great move. What a fantastic mm-hmm. What a fantastic move. He digs to, he goes to his backhand, pulls it to his forehand and around the pads of the goalie, stretched a goalie. Mm-hmm. Just takes such an incredible amount of skill to execute that play. And, and I'm glad it was on McDavid's stick and no one else's stick on the Edmonton Oilers at that so. moment. Because I don't think anyone else would have scored <clears throat> that goal because he's he's just got a different level of ability and he showed it off there. If, I, if this were a Detroit podcast, I'd be singling this play out for my bad thing. And this was Detroit defenseman Jake Wallman, number 96, who had a tremendous game tonight. He blocked seven shots, including two or three very dangerous-looking McDavid drives. Yeah. But on this play, he decided that rather than play left defense for Detroit Red Wings, he would play linesman for the National Hockey League. And when the puck bounced over the blue line, he thought it was offside, so he put his hand in the air while McDavid's coming in on him one-on-one. Well, guess which side McDavid goes around? (laughs) Watch the replay. Watch Wallman. He puts his hand in the air, and then after McDavid beats him, he puts his hand in the air again, and he's looking around. But, you know, it's a legal play. Here's an idea. When the puck's in play, Play hockey. Worry about the let the officials worry about the officiating, and maybe you can worry about it too after the whistle. But while well, it's going, anyway, McDavid burned I, him, but good, and I loved it. I remember Cece doing that a few years ago. Stopping in the playoffs to the Oilers last year and, when the, and, remember and that overtime play. goal in in Los Angeles where they thought oh, the puck went into the netting, and they ruled it didn't, even though it was sort of pretty. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, no, I and then they scored the winning goal in overtime, and it was a huge kerfuffle. And, and uh, but one or two of the Oilers did this. It's in the netting thing rather than playing to the whistle, right? Yeah. And anyway, that's Wallman made that mistake this time, and McDavid burned him third degree. What's your second good thing, Bruce? Yeah, my second good thing is the two-one goal. That the go-ahead goal by the Oilers and, and just the product of some tremendous pressure uh, by McDavid who was really going hard in this game. I thought he had a, a great game. Uh, just the one point. Yeah, he certainly could have got one on this play, but uh, uh, he was the one that created the two jam chances in front for Ekholm. And then they were battling, scrambling away for the rebound and somehow Ryan Nugent Hopkins not only found the puck, but he found Hyman and just, you know, one whack at the puck, put it right on Hyman's tape in the high slot, and Hyman just banged it into the net before Lyon could recover his position. And the pass by Nuge in the moment, the skill and, the, you know, the, I mean, it was, he was competing hard, which is why he had the puck in the first place, but then when he got it, he knew just what to do with it and just found his teammate in the perfect spot. And Hyman, I think he almost shot it right into the middle of the net, but what he did most importantly was he shot it right away and before Lyon could recover and bang, it was in the net. And uh, the whole sequence was quite thrilling, but it was sort of a delayed reaction. And all of a sudden, hey, here's Zach Hyman in the slot with a free shot on net, bam. 
And uh, all credit Nuge for that one. I think that was the, the critical touch out of all of them was that uh, that sweet pass back rather than just trying to jam it back into the goalie's pads, pull it back to a yes. guy who's got a little room to let fly yeah. and boom. Love it. Yeah. There was so many, it was just, that was a great sequence. And um, McDavid's cut back play and then putting it to Eckholm that kind of kicks it all off was really the, the, the eye, like that was such an eye opening play too. McDavid has that ability to twist back <clears throat> to his backhand and <laughs> make a play into the slot, which is unreal. Bruce, my second good thing is the overtime goal. And uh, I liked what I liked about it was, first of all, McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Bouchard had possession of the puck in the offensive end. And I swear two or three years ago, Bruce, they'd been out on the ice for, th- for 60 seconds. And I swear two or three years ago, they would have kept attacking. They wouldn't have done mm-hmm. what they did. And right. this time what they did was Dreisaitl first went off the ice. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Leon. Like, yeah. that is the right play. And he, he, again, he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have gone off the ice. He's uh, gotten more disciplined on ago. those line changes. Yeah. And uh, he would have been tired and but trying to score that goal. And maybe he would have scored it. But often they were getting scored against mm-hmm. in such sequences. And then Bouchard and McDavid take the puck back out, which is more of a strategy now. Like, I think everyone's kind of calmed down a bit on the... The OT, when you <clears throat> when you have possession, I think all players on all teams, including the superlative players and the owners, that realize well, sometimes it's just best to regroup, not just go for the net uh, constantly. So they did. They regrouped in the middle of the ice, and and um, Hyman took the puck in. He took a quick look at the bench to make sure that McDavid had got off the ice, and he he went in there like a bat out of hell, charging the net like he does. He's got such incredible. Um, puck protection uh, skills and ability to uh, maintain mm-hmm. his balance under pressure from the other team. He took it right to the net. Um, he gets he gets thwarted um, before he gets there. The puck's batting around and Nugent Hopkins fights for it and the Detroit player uh, turns it over. Darnell Nurse gets it and just slams it in the net with a fantastic shot uh, on, a sc- on a difficult scramble play for the goalie. It was a fantastic... It was a great goal, and it was the Oilers really deserved to win this game. That they ever, and um, that was a fitting end to it. Forty-seven, seventeen shots. I guess they deserved to win this game. Yeah, and that you know they they just were not to be denied. They kept coming and coming, coming. I got the lead once they got two-one. I thought you know they're, they're looking good to win it in regulation until my bad thing, and then uh, they did. Uh, Ultimately, pull it out in the overtime. Hyman, I mean, that move, that little where he dips his shoulder and ducks around the defenseman, he's doing it more and more efficiently. He's got such confidence that he's playing with right now. He'll take on guys one on one, like no problem, and drive to the net. And he, he just, he's relentless. He's like Marion Hosa out there. He's, <laughs> he's, I mean, seriously, that's, a, that's what he looks like. His offensive yeah. game has just blossomed. He's got, mm-hmm. he seems just so much more confident shooting, carrying everything with the puck. He just keeps getting better and better. And this is what is he like 31, 32 now? Like it's, it is incredible yeah. um, what we're seeing from yeah. him. So that, which is really good because he's got a long-term contract as does Nuge. So excellent that they're yeah. playing so well. 
He had a goal assist tonight, and he didn't get a point on that play, which was officially scored as unassisted because it was a sort of a desperation yeah, clear by Detroit that went to Nurse for the yeah. burial. But we scored all three guys, uh, Hyman, uh, Nuge, that were creating the chaos in front, and, of course, the goal scorer as having positive contributions to that goal. And certainly Hyman was one of them. Another splendid game for him. Goal assist, two points plus three. The three-two win. Oh, well, that's not the life. <laughs> What's your bad thing, Bruce? Well, it's got to be that two-two goal. Oh man, oh, that was exasperating. Jeez. I mean, Edmonton did very little wrong, and uh, even on this play, I mean, if you want to criticize Darnell Nurse, who's uh, he uh, was he, great he, tonight, he, I thought. Yeah, yeah, but he was, you know, he's he deflects more pucks on his own net than anybody, and we've noticed this for years. Yeah, he does. And I like, I, I still don't know what he did wrong. Like the guy was trying to whip a pass across the slot, and it catches Nurse's skate, and it goes right into the crease, and Pickard somehow able to keep it out, but he can't find the rebound. It's just laying there on the goal line. And, Ollie Matta is the <sighs> closest guy going forward towards the puck, then all he has to do is touch it in, whereas an oiler would have to get a stick around the puck and pull it out. And uh, they just couldn't quite get to it. CeCe tried to reach over the net. He was behind the net. He couldn't quite get it. And it was just a lucky bounce, which, you know, the Oilers didn't get a whole lot of lucky bounces in this game, and they didn't get one there, but it was a... Uh, uh, just, you know, four minutes left and sort of thinking maybe this isn't our night after all, but uh, in the end, uh, justice prevailed. Yeah, that was a puck so wide open, even Ollie Matic could score. Was that the first goal of his career? Not quite, but he's a good player, but I, I don't think he's a goal scorer first or second. He's, he a play, he's one of those guys who'll get three goals and 27 assists, you know, when he does score, it'll be... High assist to goal ratio, I would think. He's got one. He had one goal going into the game tonight, and he has scored two now. Thirty-eight <laughs> goals. He had he had a, he had nine goals in his first mm-hmm. year in Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, he was a pretty high draft pick. So he maybe had lots. Yeah, of oh yeah, he's a very mobile player, but he's yeah. uh, he's more a puck mover than. Yeah, he was drafted. In the 2012 draft, and here just let's 12. Oh, 22nd overall. Not that. Not as high as I thought. Uh, Bruce, my my bad thing is the Oilers' puck luck in the first couple periods, especially they did start to get some luck. Is is in the you know the bounce went to McDavid to get that puck. Um, there's the save that went off Pickard's. Um, Blocker, uh, iron, blocker, iron. and then there's, yeah, two two goes off the crossbar on the post. So then there, and you know, um, Hyman's goal. The there wasn't really a bounce there, but it was a scramble play. And um, then the over the overtime goal also, there was some good bounces, and um, they almost scored even earlier. You know, they did score, but Nine they didn't seconds count. Left, yeah. Derek Ryan did put his hand on that puck. I was worried he was going to get a two-minute penalty because I actually thought he might have grasped the puck, and um, which is against the rules, but I I was glad that... Uh, I didn't think it was going to be a goal, but mm-hmm. I'm glad it wasn't a penalty. But in the first two periods, Bruce, the Oilers, they just kept firing 
firing and firing grade A chances at the opposition. I think the opposition had three grade A chances in the first couple of periods, and the orders just were maybe just two, and the orders were, you know, having six, seven, eight in a period. Some of them five alarm chances, plenty of them five alarm chances. And, and there was just, they just couldn't score. The one that comes to mind is, um, I think it's Hyman taking it. Oh, Hyman misses it at the side of the net. The puck, he gets oh, a, yeah. a slap pass opportunity. Then he, he puts it back up front and Nugent Hopkins bats it out of the air. <sighs> and he couldn't even score then. It was just, he stopped they just it right on the goal line. Like Lyon, he was like all the way back. Uh, a few times he was looking around, wasn't sure where it was, and somehow he kept it out. I mean, he played great, but he also got a couple of bounces in tight, at least in the first uh, first uh, fifty minutes of the game. There was this was this was like a this was a track meet of a game, and the Oilers like there was there was hardly any hitting going on. The Oilers had eight hits, Detroit had seven hits, and um, you know it was just a non-physical contest that almost. <laughs> not quite a no hitter. And if you go by expected goals, you know, based on their grade A shots, how many great shots the others had compared to Detroit, the score in this game should have been, <clears throat> we had it at about six or seven goals for the Oilers and two for Detroit was what you'd expect based on um, the shooting that we saw in this game. So the Oilers should have won by f- four or five goals and they just had bad puck luck and, and Lyon played very well in the nets. And that is, that's hockey. That's how it works. Yeah, he had to work hard tonight. The orders, uh, I give them credit. They I do uh, too. they hung in there hard, and the things weren't really going their way, and they just were relentless as a team. And they kept bringing it. You know, McDavid was leading the way, but geez, I thought Drysaddle had a terrific uh, two way game, hard on uh, defense, and and. Uh, 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 Doing, making some mighty fine passes in, uh, in there, and and uh, uh, they just weren't going to be denied. Was you know they were going to go down swinging at minimum. If you know they sure they, did, because like <laughs> yeah. twenty times as good a game as they played against Chicago and on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> like and I and I, I also saw Jack Michaels jinx the Detroit goalie, talking yes, about the sure possibility. Did. The Jack right before jinx the goal. <laughs> Jack Jinx is interesting, you know. He he's an equal opportunity jinxer. Jinxer. <laughs> yeah, Jack will jinx the Oilers. You know, all oh, the Oilers are well on their way to their ninth straight victory here. Uh, but he will equally jinx the other team. Well, mm-hmm. Alex Lyons had two other shutouts, and he's well. Mm-hmm. He's you know, if he gets this one, it's his third. I'm Thank you, Jack. Sure, I'm not sure there was even a whistle after that comment before they <laughs> they scored on him. Yeah, Jack is a master at the jinx. Like there's no one better than him, and uh, I, you know, I've come to accept it now that he, now that I see that he's an equal opportunity jinxer, and he applies it to the other team. Um, Bruce, your number. Now my number is five, uh, and that is now the number of career overtime goals by Darnell Nurse in his career, uh, the most by any Oilers defenseman in the history of the Oilers. I just looked it up. Eric Brewer had three in his. Uh, Time here, Oscar Kleffbaum, Andre Sekera, Tom Pody, Jason Smith, and Steve Smith each had two, mm-hmm. and oodles of other guys with one each from Evan Bouchard to Jan Haida, Ryan Whitney, even Andrew Ference had one, and a whole bunch of uh, you know guys had had one. Paul Coffey only had one during his time as an Oiler, which had 
the last four years of his time here had the overtime rule. So Darnell was already the leader, and he's he's come through with some big ones before. I remember him scoring in Vegas on uh, McDavid's 21st birthday, uh, or getting one in Winnipeg where the Oilers were down 4-1 in the third and came all the way back, and then Darnell scored a great goal in overtime to win that game. Anyway, he's uh, he's a threat, and the three-on-three, you know, I mean, he's he's got the uh, ability to jump into the play and make a shot. And that's basically what he did tonight. Yeah. Well, earlier in the game, he had rushed up into the play shorthanded and created a great rush mm-hmm. with him and Nugent Hopkins, a new job yes. put in and jammed in a shot. Just wait, yeah. was, was there overtime when Paul Coffey was on the Oilers? Uh, yeah, it started in 83, 84 that well, they brought it back, but it was like two points for a win, zero for a loss. So if you lost in overtime, three on three, you got though, was it? it wasn't three on three. It was five oh. on five. Oh, and it was okay. five minutes. Okay. And then they gradually went to four on four and then three on three. And then they adopted the Batman point and we're where we are now. But the overtime itself has been around for 40 years. Okay. I thought so, I, I didn't remember that. I just thought it had gone right to the three on three. Guess I slept through all those years of hockey. All right, Bruce. Um, my number is 45. And that's the number of points the Oilers have now, as do the Nashville Predators, as do the Seattle Kraken. So even with a nine-game winning streak, they are still tied for the final wild card spot. They're not, they cannot rest. They can, you can, you've just won nine games. Well, you're right in the middle of it now. Mm-hmm. You cannot rest. Now, they do have three games in hand on both the Predators and the Kraken. So there's that. And they're just, here's the real interesting thing. All those teams are just two points behind the Los Angeles Kings, who have um, 30, played 37 games, one fewer than the Oilers. <clears throat> so the Kings have a lot of games in hand on uh, Nashville and Seattle. Um, also interesting, Bruce, is... The Vegas Golden Knights, they have 51 points. The Oilers are six points behind them. But the Oilers have three games in hand. So if the Oilers uh, win those three games next and extend their winning streak to 12, um, they would be tied with Vegas, having played the same number of games. So things are really interesting in this uh, wild card race. Uh, the Oilers have an opportunity you know, if they keep playing, um, they keep playing this well, like, you know, you're, you're, they're not going to win every game, but they're easily going to make the playoffs. I mean, they're just uh, dominant right now. They really are a dominant team. And uh, this isn't being done with mirrors or by chance or luck. They're just crushing. Most nights they are absolutely crushing the other team when it comes to grade A shots. So, um, you know, beating them by five, six, seven grade A shots per game. It's very impressive, and tonight it was more than that. It was twelve to three, yeah, for for five alarms, and what was and it for grade A's? Twenty-five to eight. So they had seventeen more grade A shots. Yeah, better team won tonight for sure. For sure. So, so that's my number. some good news for you. Uh, semi-good news. L.A. lost again tonight oh, in sweet. overtime at Florida. So they're up to forty-eight points, but the Oilers gained ground on them again for like the seventh game in a row. LA's lost seven straight. 
and several of them were one-point losses, but Edmonton's been getting two points every game, so they've been gaining on them, either one point or two points, you know, yeah. per game played. And so uh, LA's got to be getting a little frustrated, eh? They're a good team, Bruce. Oh, they LA. are a good team. But I don't think they're a great team, like, honestly. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. They were due for a correction, and then they're having one. And Edmonton was due for a correction, and they're having one. Yeah. So I said early in the season when a lot of people were writing off the playoff chances, I was saying, well, you know, all it would really take is one 10-game winning streak, and I would correct out <laughs> that. And instead yeah. they had an eight-game streak and now a nine-game streak, which we don't know if it'll get to 10 or not. But uh, uh it sure, you know, put them in pretty solid position, 22, 15, and 1. You know, all of a sudden there's seven games above uh, above the old-style 500 and six above, you know, they've won almost 60% of their games all of a sudden. Yeah, so, so they played the same number of games as the Kings, 38 yeah. each, and the Kings are three points ahead now. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Bruce, let's move on to our conundrum. Okay. Conundrum is, should the Oilers sign Corey Perry if he is willing to come here? What is your opinion, Bruce? Well, it depends, of course, on if he's willing to come come here and also what the price tag would be. Have to be really because, low. Yeah. So it, it's uh, – uh, he's, he's met with Bettman, and I guess there is a path back to the NHL. He's uh, basically given up his most of his four million dollar contract that he signed with Chicago to be Bedard's uh, um, nasty presence. big brother. Yeah, 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 that one. And yeah. so, and I don't think he's going to get anything close to four million. I think he blew it on the money front there, big time. Uh, yeah, no, but on the other hand, I'm not sure that he's going to sign for NHL minimum, but he's had several years in a row before this one. Like his, his contract was so uh, astonishing that he got like four years worth of worth of uh, salary this year with the one he got with Chicago after, I mean, the previous years he signed uh, 1.5 million in uh, uh, so Dallas went to the finals, and then he signed for uh, uh, 750 thousand dollars with Montreal. Mm -hmm. Then he signed for one million two-year deal in Tampa. So he he literally barely made four million for four years. And then this year he got four million for one year, and then he went. And, well, he had been bought he, out previous to that. Right? He has, and, yeah. Uh, he has a history of. Uh, I don't think he's been bought out until this. this wasn't one he bought out by Anaheim? Canceled. His big contract? I thought it was right at the end, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, the, uh, in in 2019, yeah. and so since then he's been paying for relative peanuts, and if he but wants he, to sign for relative peanuts, uh, to play for a team with a shot at the cup. I mean, he could do a whole lot worse than choose the Edmonton Oilers. And what he would bring, uh, besides being a nasty piece of work, and I could use other verbal to describe him that uh, may not be suitable for a family podcast, but uh, you know where I'm going. Uh, but this is a guy with over 400 career goals 
uh, almost 900 points in his career. Big man, 6'3", 208 pounds, very strong on the puck. And he's kind of made his living as, a, you know, sort of an ace uh, fourth liner. Yeah. In the last few years. And he's been, you know, a good player on strong teams. Like, he's never been the close to the best player on those teams. But uh, he's an unyielding uh, player and... and uh, uh, a long, long history of winning, and if you believe in in uh, having some of that on your team, and someone pointed out today that the last team to win the Stanley Cup with no previous Stanley Cup winners on their team was the 1989 Calgary Flames that had no prior Stanley Cup winning experience in the roster. Is that true, roster. though? I, well, I was trying to find an example of a team that hadn't, had, that had nobody, and there always seems to be this one guy, right? Okay. That that uh, it was fascinating. Has, I, that yeah. blew me away. I didn't. I yeah. had no idea. It always that seems was to be this one guy. They can bring in somebody who's done it. And yeah. anyway, uh, it's subject to it's subject to video review. Let's put it that way. Okay. It might take might take longer even than that offside call the other night to to brute force check all of that. Anyway. Uh, he is uh, he's one of only two players in the history of, of uh, hockey, uh, the other being the great Scott Niedermeyer, to win all of the Memorial Cup, the World Junior, uh, the Canada Cup or World Cup, uh, the Olympic Games, the World Championship, and the Stanley Cup. All six major trophies available to you know major junior and beyond. Those are the only two guys to to run the table on those. So he's got a long, long history of uh, of contributing to winning teams, and there's a lot of appeal there. I notice in the you know a lot of this, the the response people there's sort of two answers. Yeah, by all means, let's grab Perrier. No friggin' way do we want that guy. That's <laughs> a, you know it's like two polar opposites. Replies. Yeah. And I'm more in the sort of 60-40 camp, but if you could get the guy on the uh, on the you know for the for the right price, like the owners don't have a lot of size in their bottom six, and they you know I mean give or take Evander Kane, who's currently playing in the bottom six, but generally I think sees himself as a top six player. Uh, and you know that that big uh, uh, right-handed shot. I mean, what's he playing now? Let me just look here in his last few years. Uh, yeah, 13 minutes a night. But it was up to 14 in Chicago this year, and he doesn't score a ton. But uh, you know, he just scores a bit. He scores some, and uh, and he battles, and he greases it up, and he's. Uh, He's he's nasty and no fun to play against. Uh, that I can assure you, having watched uh, against him uh, for all those years that he was a duck. So, but I'll say this: I, w- I watched uh, Perry play when he played for Team Canada in the Olympics, and I liked him just fine. Like I didn't mind that he was greasy, <laughs> and, and you know. But he's on your team. It's different. Well, yeah. Like whereas Fair guys enough. like Ryan Kessler and uh, and that that always played for uh, uh, you know Team USA. 
I never had to cheer for those guys under any circumstances. I mean, Kessler was a Canuck, a Duck, and a Team USA player. Don't, don't need to like you ever. But Perry was, when he played for Team Canada, I kind of liked his game, and I respected it more than a lot of people do. He is greasy, he's dirty. Uh, I'm not sure that I've seen him injure guys, and this is where I kind of draw the line, is when guys take advantage of vulnerable opponents and put them out. And, I mean, Matt Cook, like, I hated that guy because he would do that. In a yeah, he's heartbeat. not that player. No. He's not that guy, that's right. So, uh, anyway, he, he, but he's, he's he, uh, he gives like no quarter right? and expects none. And yeah. he's just, he's always got this surly, grumpy game face on, right? Uh, anyway, uh, so I'm sort of, I, I'm on the fence, but uh, there's worse things they could do. Assuming that he's got whatever his problems were that led to his suspension, you know, with the league, and it sounds like he's worked it out, and he see he took full ownership of it, apologized, took the bullet on having his contract cancelled without any kind of protest or appeal, and now presumably he's paid his debt to society. So that apology, you got to, it's worth due diligence. I'll say yeah. that, and if. Ken Holland isn't doing due diligence. He's not doing his job. Yeah. I think that apology went a long way. There have been a lot of ridiculous and foolish rumors floating around. Anyway, he cleared the air, Perry. You know, he didn't. We don't still don't know exactly. We still don't know exactly what it is, but he did completely own it, completely apologize and say he was going to correct the problem in his life, which was alcohol. So um, good luck to him on that. And good luck to him if he signs with the orders and not otherwise if he signs with someone else no bruce i i just i i, I don't That's i have the same the eastern conference again yeah i don't have much to say i i'm you know if, if he can still play and you know that's for the orders management to determine like i i didn't watch him play in chicago um didn't focus on him so um you know if it's determined he can still be a, you know a reasonable facsimile of the cory perry we've seen the last couple of years that's a useful player, and I hope the Oilers do sign him because I do. I agree with you. I think they could use another big physical player on their bottom line, especially when it can score now and then. I mean, he'll, he, you know, obviously he would compete right away for Adam Ernie's job. That, yes. you know, that, and um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, go for it. Like the more depth you have, the more NHL players you have. Things can go wrong fast. You can get injuries fast, and you might need to replace some players. So, um, good. It would be good to have him on hand in that regard bruce let's uh let's leave it there for now say okay. good night good night thanks for talking yeah. bruce yeah thanks for listening everyone and uh rest in peace uh john and robin and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast i just gotta find the skype thing here. Oh, where it went. There we go. Good night.